Welcome everyone to the regular 72nd anniversary of AA. Uh, my name is Peter and I'm an alcoholic. Please help me open this meeting with a moment of silence, follow by a serenity prayer for those who wish. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is the Alcoholics Anonymous preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other, that they may solve their common problem and help others recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics who achieve sobriety. And there's a couple of announcements. Uh, this is a non-smoking meeting. And is this anyone's first time at an AA meeting ever? Is anyone's first time at this group? Is anybody coming back from taking a drink that will care to admit it? I'll have a little passage to read up here. And uh, it goes like this. All this started in 1934 when an ever-loving God looked down upon this earth. Upon a group of people who no one could help and no one could understand, the outcasts of society, the drunks. So in his infinite wisdom he set a table, and on the table he laid a message and a lighted candle. Whoever was to sit down at this table first was to pick up the message and the candle and go out into the world carrying the message and the light, where there is suffering and darkness in other alcoholics' lives. I don't know. I was thinking that we got it pretty good, and God must really love us for giving us AA and a way to stop drinking. And most because just a couple of centuries ago, the alcoholic out there suffering didn't have this. So, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce our speaker, Hilda H. from the Asbill Caesar Group. Good evening, everybody. My name's Hilda, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm a member of the Asbill Caesar Group in Hamburg, New York. Um, oh, um, I'd like to um, thank, I, f I don't remember who asked me. I think it was Peter or Chris. I don't remember who asked me to speak. Uh, it, it's an honor and a privilege to get up here before you and speak, particularly that this is a celebration for uh, Alcoholics Anonymous' birthday. Um, I was very moved by what Peter said. You know, if you think about a hundred years ago, this wasn't around. Um, and although there were many movements that were similar, this is the one that has worked, and it's worked for me. I know there are other ways to get sober, but Alcoholics Anonymous is the, is the way for me. Um, we have some, uh, some uh, visitors from across the border. 
<laughs> I'd like to welcome our friends from Hamilton, Ontario, and also from Syracuse. Ralph and Kelly were kind enough to come and, and uh, share with your celebration. I think that shows a level of commitment of uh, what we do for each other. Um, when I came to AA, uh, there were certain people that wouldn't even cross the street for me. In fact, they were going across the street to get away from me. Um, in fact, after I was in the program, probably about three or four years, I was kind of searching, you know, doing my spiritual search, and I was sampling all these different churches. I mean, you name it, I went there. And I, I went to this Unity Church, and I ran into this guy that I used to know when I was drinking. He said, oh, my God, have you changed? And I said... I have it. I was actually kind of insulted because I, <laughs> I really didn't think I was that bad. Here I was sober about three years, but I still didn't think I was that bad. And he said, oh, yeah, the last time you drank, he said, I ran away from you. He said, you were just a you know, total embarrassment. And uh, uh, So I got a sampling of what it was like from the other side, you know. <clears throat> we not only hurt the people that, that love us, but, you know, the people that... Um, come into our lives, you know, whether we know them for very long or not. Um, I used to have a friend by the name of John Dodge, he's, and he used to say, if you talk to them, you hurt them, <laughs> you know, when you were drinking. And I said, well, that's quite a, you know, big statement to say. But, uh, you know, most of the people that I encountered, if I <clears throat> hurt you, it was either by omission by totally ignoring you because I was so involved with myself or it was because of something that I did to you because I either wanted it or you know you were going to hurt me so I was going to hurt you first or you know just the little games that that I played um, of course I didn't know any of that until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous um, I tried to tell you a little bit about where I came from we were just talking earlier uh, before the meeting about families and how important they are to us. And um, mine certainly was. I came from a, a family of Mexican Indian descent. And um, I didn't used to be able to say that. I was, I was always ashamed of where I came from and what I was and how I was raised for many years, although I didn't tell anybody that. I was the only, I, I, in fact, I don't think I even told myself that, <laughs> you know, but I always thought, felt different. Well, I wasn't different because of where I came from. I was different because I'm an alcoholic and I had that alcoholism before I even drank. Um, I do acknowledge, at least in my family, that it was a disease. Um, my father was an alcoholic, um, and so alcoholism controlled my life before I even picked it up. <clears throat> I was my father's favorite. I was daddy's little girl, and I pretty much got away with everything I wanted to do. And very early on in life, I learned how to manipulate men, and I liked it. Um, I pretty much got whatever I wanted. Uh, and so I wasn't not only... Was that um, I thought it was fun, but the rest of my family, my siblings, didn't think it was too much fun because, you know, I was always, um, you know, my father was pretty strict. I mean, he was so strict 
that my oldest sister, when she dated, had to have chaperones. I mean, that's the kind of family that I came from. You didn't, you didn't go on a date. By the time it got to me, you know, I pretty much talked about that. <laughs> you are not going on a date with me. <laughs> and uh, he probably wished he had because um, I had some doozies. So that therein lies my second problem was <laughs> after booze, it was boys. So... Um, Anyway, um, we had a lot of celebrations, and, and alcohol was just a way of life. I never knew any other way, and I really didn't, um, I couldn't imagine life without it, because I just thought it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. My father <coughs> worked for General Motors. Uh, they migrated to the uh, northern part of the country. My family's from Mexico and Texas, and we lived, I essentially grew up in Ohio. I was born on the way up, literally, in Indiana. Um, but anyway, he worked for General Motors, and so he was a blue-collar worker, but on the weekends, he was um, president of the Latin American Club, and he was an MC. So I got, actually kind of got used to microphones and stuff, because he used to take me with him, and, and he would MC dances, and a lot of drinking, and I met a lot of celebrities, um, and I loved that life. I used to go when I was a little girl. And he would only take me. So I like dancing. I like the nightclubs. Um, I just liked everything there was to like about the party atmosphere. So <clears throat> for me, I wasn't one that said, I will never drink. It was, I can't wait to drink. <laughs> you know, I can't wait to do what these grown-ups are doing. Um, so my first drink, I'll take you to my first drink, was uh, I was 13. And it was in the summertime, right about this time, I think. Um, and I got together with a boy, first problem. And uh, he said, I'll meet you down at the park. And I got my first resentment. I um, could see that he, at that time, Strohs, I don't know if anybody ever drank Strohs, but they came in an eight-pack. And I quickly spotted that it was an eight-pack, and I, and I had a resentment. I hadn't even drank it yet, but I knew that it was four for him, four for me. That wasn't enough. <laughs> you know, I did the math. And uh, that just gives you an idea what that thinking is like, you know, more, more, more. And um, I didn't get, you know, like plastered on four beers, but I did get feeling pretty good, and I just knew I couldn't wait till the next time. I can remember walking home. And just feeling like I was walking on a cloud, just, just you know, that easy, relax. We were talking about, you know, I used to drink just to get relaxed and um, calm my nerves down a little bit. And I was immediately um, taken by it and uh, <clears throat> to the exclusion of everything else. Um, I... Um, my, uh, like I said, my father was an alcoholic, and there was a lot of tension in our home. Um, there was a l I saw a lot of things that a child should not see, and um, there was a lot of abuse in the family. And um, in my way, you know, prior to picking up the drink, was uh, I fantasized a lot. I just used to just like go somewhere. Who knows where I went? I. Um, as a as a very little child, though, I did have some kind of a connection with. Um, a, uh, for me, it was being in nature. I had this spiritual feeling, this connection with, with uh, nature, 
always did always listen to the birds and I always would go away and withdraw from the chaos that was going on in my house so I knew a little bit about some peace I had a semblance of peace but once I started drinking you know was it was over really it I began that love affair that people talked about I I remember when I came to AA and people said oh I you know had a love affair with alcohol I thought how can you have a love affair with a bottle you know I didn't understand it but I know now today that it as I said it it came it was in my life to the exclusion of everything and everybody else um the way that um it affected me and uh, my personality change I, I believe i had a profound spirituality change i was uh usually pretty quiet and shy and demure and <laughs> and then once i started drinking forget it you know it was like the shoes came off which i'm about ready to take off now but <laughs> But, uh, you know, I was dancing on the tables and, you know, opening up beer bottles with my teeth and, you know, hanging out with the, yeah, get down a dirty drug, you know, out with the guys. And I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know what made me think about it, but we used to have this club when I was a teen and it was called the Skylark Club. And and uh, we used to have the boys from the country, the country boys come in and, and uh uh, so we went out, my girlfriend and I, you know, I was staying at her house. He, she was staying at my one of those. And so we went out with these two boys in their brand-new pickup truck. They were drinking big containers of Huda Pool beer. And we were out driving the country roads. And they didn't know them very well, but I knew the road. And all of a sudden, there was, a, a like, a T. And there was a stop sign, and the guy didn't stop. We went, flew, flew way over the road and landed in a ditch. This was pre-seatbelt days, you know, and um, <clears throat> everybody hit the windshield, you know, blood everywhere. And <clears throat> finally, when I, I think I was the first one to come to, and then um, the driver came to, and they, you know, were throwing these cans of uh, out in the fields before the cops came. And fortunately for us, it was a couple that was parking. Uh, you know, and they gave us girls a ride into town, and I never got in trouble for that. But here's to t show you what, how um, just self-centered I was. The next day, this young man came to my house to see if I was okay. You know, he had a broken nose. He'd been in the hospital all night, and I didn't want him there because it's like, you know, I don't want to get found out. My dad sees you. He'll kill you. He'll kill me. <laughs> you know, he'll kill me. And, you know, never mind you. But, you know, I just couldn't get him, <laughs> I couldn't get him out of there fast enough. You know, I was just always out to protect me, you know, and it didn't matter, I, as I said, who I hurt, you know, who was involved, just, you know, don't get me into trouble. Um, I uh, got married and divorced, had two children by the time I was 20 years old. Um saying a lot really um, I thought I was grown up I didn't have the clue about what it was to be an adult um, I thought because I had a home and um, you know I had a job I, I, w I have been blessed with jobs um, my whole life I, I, I've just seemed to have kind of fallen into them and well really now I know that that was God um, did you poke him poke him for me <laughs> I can't see. I forgot my glasses tonight. I ran out of the house. I had my sunglasses in it. So I told Brenda she couldn't make faces. She could make all the faces. She just couldn't sit in the front row. So she said if I got out of line, she'd poke me and, and bust my um, 
ego bubble. <laughs> anyway, um, so I had these two children, and very early on, um, I was I were always worked two jobs, and for the for the longest time, I said it was because I had to support my kids and my and the father. This was in the seventies. Okay, this was when my slogan was "Make love, not war." That was my slogan. <laughs> you know, it's like I had my own slogans. It wasn't easy, does it? <laughs> um, and you know, Vietnam War was going on. My my uh, husband at that time he had drawn a high lottery number, and as my self centeredness said, you know, why didn't he go? You know, that was that's insane today. I hate war, and yet. I wanted him to go. You know, all our friends were going, and they weren't coming back. You know, um, I was a flower child, and, you know, I just, I loved the 60s and the 70s. That was just like my time. I, I loved it. it. And, you know, and and I know this is a, but I did, you know, experiment with everything that was out there. But it really was more um, just to say that I did it. And even though I became addicted to it, I always had booze. That was my thing. That's what, you know, when, when all else failed, I knew that I could count on booze. Um, my ex-husband, who was uh, living in a commune at the time, had called the uh, child protection on me. And I can remember thinking, well, how dare he? You know, he's not even around, and he's calling child protection on me. You know, and... Uh, so I got my first, I had my first encounter with any real trouble, I guess you'd call it. And I was only 20, maybe 22 at the time. Um, and I knew I had to kind of slow down on my drinking. So I did what most alcoholics do when I did a geographical cure. And I moved to Columbus, Ohio, and I really thought things would be different. Well, it didn't take me too long to uh, find out where all the bars were there. And I had a second encounter with... Um, child protection while I was there. That was more towards the end of my drinking. Um, when I moved to uh, Columbus, I got another fine job. I uh, worked for a Fortune 500 company. Uh, I was making a lot of money. I climbed the corporate ladder, so to speak. And, um, and at that time, this was, you know, 70s, Drinking was accepted. You know, you just, you, if you were out with customers and you, the company encouraged you, you had an expense account and you were encouraged to drink with the customers. So there was really, I was doing just what everybody else did, you know. And there was a lot of uh, public relations events that I would participate And I love that part, you know. Just give me a party to put together and, I, I, and I'll do it and I'll do it right because we're perfectionists, right? So we got to make sure that we're impressing everybody and that we do it right. So um, I did that. <coughs> And, but pretty soon people started taking notice that I was really, you know, kind of going over the edge <laughs> a little bit. And so I started my uh, tours of the doctors. You know, I started getting medications because my nerves were shot. And uh, pretty soon I was uh, addicted to pain medication. I was addicted to Valium. I became addicted to, I can't even tell you how many. I will tell you this, that... Um, I was at work one day, and I was just coming apart. I was flying apart, and I was like, what was it, Fred Sanford used to say, you know, this is it, this is it, this is it. You know, that's what I kept saying. <laughs> like, I know this is it. This is the one that's going to my 19th nervous breakdown, you know. I know this is it. And um, 
So I couldn't, I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk. And uh, my girlfriend says, well, I'll, I'll take her. I'll take her to the hospital. You know, they wanted to call an ambulance. I said no. So she took me to my gynecologist of all doctors. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> and he said, you know, I didn't know what was wrong, you know. And he says, what are you taking? And so I had my purse. I just dumped it all out, you know. It's like I, I didn't know that. You know, I mean, I know they had these big orange labels that say, do not drink alcohol, right? But I really didn't know. I mean, and I thought I was pretty intelligent, but I really did not know <laughs> that I, and he said, uh, you're addicted to all this medication. He says, you got to stop taking this. He said, do you have anybody to <clears throat> watch your children? And I said, well, yeah, I think I can get somebody. So he said, you're going to go home and you're going to go through withdrawal. And I said, okay, so when can I go back to work? And I, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Well, the next, long story short, the next three or four days were pure hell. Um, I literally, I should have been hospitalized. What I know today about what I was going through at that time, I should have been hospitalized. And I'm, I'm, I know I stand here before you a miracle because I should have been dead. Um, but there's one part of that that I don't want to forget, and my son Jason at that time, I think he was about five years old, four or five years old, and my sister-in-law came to take the kids so I could, you know, withdraw. And um, he sat at the bottom of the stairs, and he just with his head in his hands, and just saying, I can't leave, I can't leave. And she said, you have to come. And he says, but who's going to take care of my mom? You know, who's going to take care of my mom? And... <clears throat> You know, I don't want to forget how that felt because I knew that at that point he had become the parent and I was the child at five years. That's a heavy load to put on a child, you know, and it, it, it talk about humbling. <laughs> that was a humbling experience. Um, and, I, and I, you know, could feel that maybe something was wrong, but I just couldn't quite, you know, fix it. I didn't really want to be the way that I was. I didn't want to ignore my children. <coughs> I didn't want to um, go out and leave them at, at sitters. You know, we were talking about the time earlier about, oh, yeah, I'll be home in an hour, you know, and then I call babysitter. Well, I'll be home at 7 o'clock, and then, you know, an hour later. I'll be home at 8. And then, you know, before I knew it, it was past midnight, and it was like, can you watch the kids overnight, you know? And it just went on and on, and I just could not stop. I couldn't guarantee that once I picked up a drink what I would do or wouldn't do. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, thank God I made it through that. And I guess all that to say, that was in 1977. And um, about a couple of months after that, Elvis Presley died. And they published uh, an article, and it listed everything that was in his body <laughs> when he died. And I was on every one of what he was taking, plus some. So I knew, you know, and I thought, well, that's it. No more drugs, <laughs> you know. But the booze continued. And um, I just, I knew that that was my problem, that I won't take medication, I'll just, I'll just drink. In 1982, 1980, my father was uh, diagnosed with cancer, and uh, I was, uh, I wanted to be with him, and I got this idea, I started drinking with my ex-husband, and, you know, I had a moment of insanity, and we thought we'd get married again. <laughs> and uh, thank God it didn't happen. But 
all that to say I, I we showed up I showed up at the hospital and I was late and my father he I promised him that I wanted to see him before he went into surgery and I didn't see him and I can remember in the waiting room I mean we had a big family and everybody was there and I was just pacing I was sick I was throwing up my younger sister and I used to drink together and she even was disgusted with me she goes god Hilda, you really you're really bad <laughs> you know you're really bad and for her to say it I knew that you know I just felt lower than low and uh, fortunately uh, my father did come out of that surgery. He was alive. And I promised him two things. One, that I wasn't going to drink, and two, that I wasn't going to smoke again because he had lung cancer. And, of course, as soon as I got out of the waiting room, what did I do? Was I smoked. And when I got home, what did I do? I drank. And, uh, you know, I thought, I'm off the hook. He, you know, he lived. But things started to get worse, even worse. I uh, started to see a psychologist and... Um, because of my drinking, and yet, I, I, you know, I thought that if I could just find out what was wrong with me, then I wouldn't drink so much, you know. Um, my friends, by this point, were really didn't have m much to do with me. I was embarrassing them. Uh, how I never got a DWI, I do not know. I should have had many of them, but I didn't. <clears throat> My kids, my son was acting out in school. I was getting called in. He was a, being a troublemaker. My daughter was so shy, she used to walk around with her head down. Um, and the way that I felt, I was just helpless. At the end of my um, drinking, we were talking about <coughs> baseball earlier, and I used to play in a softball team. And uh, in May, I was hungover, and we were having a practice. and. Our coaches, you know, were out hitting the balls, you know, and I'm like, you know, and it was hot like today, you know, and I wasn't feeling too good, you know, when it's really hot and you got to, we were talking about this earlier too, about how you can't even think about drinking because you're just like your stomach's rolling and, and I don't know what happened, but I go, I got it, I got the ball, I got it, and the next thing I knew I was out, <laughs> you know, it, he did a line driving and hit me right here and I didn't get it, I got it all right, I got it right here. But that was a blessing because what ended up happening is I had to go to the hospital and get checked out, and they did a liver scan. And they had asked all these questions on the computer back, oh, really early dinosaur computer days is not the technology we have today. They asked you all these questions on, you had to push it on the screen. And I thought, why are they asking me all these questions about my drinking? I'm in here for your for a liver scan. You know, I didn't even connect the two. And, but I kept looking over my shoulder to see if anybody was watching me answer these questions. Because <laughs> I kept saying, yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> so when the guy did the scan, I said, well, how is it looking? He said, well, your enzymes are a little high. And uh, he said, you're very tender there. So, uh, and I had cracked ribs, so... I just attributed to that, but uh, I knew I knew the end was coming for me. In in 1978, I met a man. Actually, it's my sister's. Um, at that time, her boyfriend was uh, my brother-in-law, and he was an AA. Um, Fred took me to my first meeting for him. You know, AA. He was not anonymous. He at that time he was sober ten years, I believe, and he was visiting us in Ohio. And I took him to the meeting and I dropped him off. And he says, "Oh, you can come in." And he, I said, "No, that's okay. I'll pick you up, <laughs> you know, later." But I had never known anybody that was sober. You know, I had heard about AA, 
but I didn't really know that much about it other than we had a town drunk. <coughs> so um, Fred went to AA. My sister started going to Al-Anon. Well, that'll ruin your drinking when a, and a family member starts going to the other side. And, you know, she bought me a one day at a time uh, book, the ODAT book. And I started reading it. I used to drink wine and call it my girlfriend and read her the one day at a time book and say, see, that's Linda. That's my sister. That's her, you know. <laughs> and uh, I didn't apply it to me, you know. And... <clears throat> A series of events took place, and one of them was um, I had the cracked ribs, and I was taking pain pills, something that I said I wasn't going to do again. You know, I started taking this pain medication, and I was drinking. And we, the Memorial Golf Tournament was in, in uh, hosted in Columbus, Ohio, if anybody knows about golf, Jack Nicholas's big course there. So, of course, our company was whining and dining these people, and I just had to go. You know, even though, you know, and I didn't wear, you know, I was a lot thinner then too, but I used, used to wear these little halter tops, you know, and just thought looked I looked cute. And I needed some money. I, now, mind you, I'm forcing foreclosure on my home. You know, my kids are in trouble. You know, my job is like I'm starting to miss a lot of time at work, and I need some money. So somebody tells me that they're having a limbo contest, and the winner gets $500. So... Guess who? <laughs> Guess who decides to do the limbo <laughs> with three cracked ribs, a belly full of booze, and pain pills? And so I did, and I won the contest. <laughs> I, won, I won this limbo contest. So I'm going up to the bartender. Well, where's my money? He goes, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "They said it was a 500." He said, "There is no 500 dollar cash prize for this. You get two free complimentary tickets for a drink." And I, somebody had pulled my leg and told me that just to see if I did. <laughs> but um, so that happened that weekend, and then my parents had come down, and but that's how desperate I was. I guess you know I just I needed money. And my parents came down. My daughter had a dance recital, and during the intermission, um, they had they were serving champagne. And um, I couldn't wait. I couldn't even focus on the dance recital. And uh, I went to the, the bar, and I got champagne. And my father said to me, he says, can't you wait? And I said, no, I can't. Most mothers were backstage taking their daughter's flowers, calming the nurse. But this mother was at the bar. And uh, I, ne I never want to forget how I felt that day. Well, when <clears throat> my parents left, my dad, my mother handed me a $20 bill because all I had in the house was a... Uh, gallon of milk and a box of wine in the refrigerator she said buy the kids some food and you don't give a drunk twenty dollars when they need to drink if you're going to choose food over booze i don't know about you but i chose booze so i ended up <clears throat> drinking and actually on i had my curb you know uh my curb was anheuser-busch boulevard literally there was an anheuser-busch brewery at the end of the street and I ended up there, no shoes, no car, no friends, wondering, what am I doing here? What has happened to me? And I cried out, I believe sincerely for the first time, God, please help me. And he did. Shortly thereafter, uh, 
my sister, my younger sister that I used to drink with, was in Bellevue Hospital, and she had attempted suicide yet once again. Um, and the doctor called me, and I, I'm telling him how she needs to go to NA and AA because she's a drug addict and an alcoholic, and that you shouldn't leave her by herself. And um, I think they must have thought that I needed to be in Bellevue, if anybody know here knows who Bellevue is in New York City. Um, and what happened was uh, the next morning I woke up and I thought, you're the one. You're the one with the problem. You're the one that's committing suicide. You're just doing it a different way. It may not be as overtly or as attention-getting as, as she, she is, but you're the one. And on June 8th, I had my last drink. It was pretty uneventful other than the NBA. At that time, the NBA playoff, it was over. Now they last, what, they, oh, they just won the other night, right? The Lakers won. I drank a beer, and that was it. Um, I announced to my family that I had stopped drinking, and nobody said, oh, don't stop. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't, don't keep on drinking. No, no one said that. Everybody said, oh, that's good, you know. And uh, my brother-in-law kept saying, well, when are you going to go to AA? And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know where there's meetings. Well, you know there's a meeting where you took me that night. Oh, well, yeah, I'll get there. And so what I did was I pitted cherries. I had five cherry trees in my yard, and I pitted thousands of cherries with a bobby pin, a hairpin. And um, that kept me sober for about three weeks. And there was one thing that I didn't know I didn't know really about physical withdrawal, but for me, I had to. I I was on the marijuana maintenance program at that time because I just I had to have something. I could not. I was coming out of my skin, and I couldn't take it. You know, uh, I had a friend Eddie who had gone to a treatment center in Cumberland, Kentucky, and he had that Living Sober book, and I read it cover to cover, and I identified with it totally. And I suppose I knew eventually that I would have to go at AA, but I just, I wasn't ready um, until July 6th of 1982. I can remember coming home from work, and I worked right across from that brewery, and I walked out of there, I, and I knew that I was going to drink if I didn't do something. My kids uh, were in Maine with my parents, and um, I uh, remember driving home, and my car wanted to go through the carryout. And it was just like a magnet. You know how you just, you just, you want to go this way, but your car wants to go that way. And I just, I remember just struggling with myself all the way home. And I, I remember just walking under my porch and just that struggle, that inner struggle. Drink, don't drink. Drink, don't drink. You know? And I just, all of a sudden, just, God graced me. He just, he just graced me, you know, with this peace that I, all of a sudden I just knew that I was going to be all right. And uh, to this day, that has not left me. I, I have no reservation that I'm an alcoholic. I have none. You know, it's just, it's gone. He took it that day. I know now that I did want, that I didn't do steps one, two, three. They did, they, you know, he graced those on me. Because I knew immediately, I didn't know how, but I knew that I was going to be all right. And that somehow God had something to do with it. I knew that it wasn't me. And so I <clears throat> called my girlfriend. She had a meeting schedule book. I went to a meeting. And uh, 
her ex-husband bought me a big book. And that was my introduction to AA. I heard everything that I needed to hear that first night. Go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, get a sponsor. Get a home group. All that stuff. You know, don't get involved in a relationship. Oh, well, I won't do that one. You know, because I'm not that bad. You know, I just thought, you know, what's a nice girl like me doing in a place like this? I really didn't think that applied to me. <laughs> um my kid, this meeting that I went to on that Wednesday night, coincidentally, was the meeting that I took my brother-in-law to, and they also had an Al-Anon and an Alateen meeting going on at the same time. So my children became involved in Alateen, and that was very uh, helpful to them. I, I mean, I can't tell you what it did for my kids to get involved in Alateen. Uh, so we would all go together on Wednesday nights to the meeting. Uh, a bunch of old-timers came over to me, and they, they gave me their phone numbers. They said, call them. And, of course, I didn't, you know. And uh, But I did go to meetings. That's probably the one thing that I did do right. I just fell in love with AA from the beginning. Um, this was in Columbus, Ohio. So we heard a lot about Dr. Bob in Columbus. Um, when I moved to New York, it was like, you know, Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson. But Dr. Bob was, was uh, uh, I met a lot of people who knew about Dr. Bob, either knew him, had known him personally. Corny Voorhees, who was um, translated the big book into several languages, um, was my spo my spiritual advisor's sponsor. So um, there was, I got to be around these people who had been around a long time, and I uh, just, I, I can't tell you how I just hung on every word they said. They had something that I didn't have, and that was hope. You know, they knew something about something I didn't know anything about, and that was how to stay sober. So for some reason, um, I listened to them, and I immediately I, I got involved with the group. My, coincidentally, the name of my home group was called the Hope Group. And I met on Sunday nights, and they said, come early, make coffee, and... My idea of getting early to a meeting was 15 minutes beforehand. They said, no, 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 you don't understand. You have to come like an hour and a half to make the coffee, to set up the chairs, you know, walk, put out the ashtrays. And in those days, we used to have to pour coffee, which I resented. We used to pour coffee for people. Uh, this was in 82. So, you know, and it's, I thought, I'm not a servant, you know, and under my breath. But I did it anyway, you know, I, I'm not, you know. I mean, I was a woman's lover. And, you know, uh, but we did it. I did it. I did it. And we used to have this chalkboard behind us. We had this um, slogans were like in um, eight by ten, you know, in uh, frames. And the slogan, think, 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 was upside down. Well, you want to drive an alcoholic crazy is put something in a frame upside down. It just, everybody with their OCD, you know, wants to get up there and turn it around, you know. And so finally, I just got the nerve up, and I asked my sponsor's husband, you know, why did you put that upside down? He says, so it makes you think. So it makes you think. I was like, I got it, you know. But anyway, the other thing was that he had, he had a chalkboard up there, and every week he'd write something different up there. And one time, he, he gave me a piece of paper. He gave me some homework to do. He said... Go write this a hundred times. And I said, what is this kid? I didn't say this to him. I said it to myself. I was like, what the hell is this, kindergarten or what? And, um, you know, but I did it. So the next week I go with my paper. I got my homework. I wrote it a hundred times. It was, I think it takes time to learn that it takes time. I think it was that one. 
And he says, what is this? He says, I said, don't you remember you told me last week to do this homework? He'd forgotten about it. But they were always pulling tricks on me like that. You know, or he'd give me, you know, he'd go to a conference and he'd give me raffle tickets. And he says, we got to go. We have an appointment, blah, blah, blah. You know, stay here and, and let me know if I won the raffle. Well, I'm hanging around after the conference is over, you know, waiting for the raffle. <laughs> There is no raffle. <laughs> kind of like, oh, this is the old limbo trick, you know. <laughs> so he just wanted to make sure that I stayed to the end, <laughs> you know. But they're always doing stuff like this, you know. And and they watched out for me, you know. They loved me, you know. They loved me. I never. I had a really hard time saying no to men. I mean, I can't tell you. It was just my weakness, you know, my Achilles heel, whatever you want to call it. And uh, one, there was this guy that was, you know, really making moves on me. And um, so all of a sudden he stopped. And then, of course, I started to wonder, well, what happened? <laughs> you know, <'cause laughs> why doesn't this guy come around? Later on, I find out that John tells him, he steps, he had stepped right in front of us, you know, and he said, I said, what did you tell him? What'd you say to him? Because I said, he doesn't even, you know, look my way. He says, I told him if he didn't stop talking to you that I was going to break his knees with a two by four. And, uh, and I guess he said it so seriously. John was this big Irish Catholic guy, um. And I guess he believed him because he never talked to me again. But that's the kind of stuff they did, you know. If they did, if they didn't want you hanging around with somebody, they took care of it. You know, they were like my guardian angels, really. They went around and and they did things like that for me. Um, we all went out afterwards for coffee, of course, and um, just it was wonderful. I, you know, I have very fond memories of what those people literally saved my life. I had no family there other than my two children. And uh, on Memorial Day, we were at John's house and they had this get-together. And I was washing dishes because I could always do that. I would keep really busy washing dishes. And um, he came up to me and says, hey, so what do you think of us AAers? And I couldn't say anything. I had this lump in my throat. And he said, uh, you don't have to say anything. And I know that lump in my throat was love. I was just so overwhelmed with gratitude that these people would allow me in their house and just be nice to me, to be kind to me. You know, people hadn't done that in a, in a, in a very genuine way, and I can't remember how long. People that I didn't know, strangers, you know. And um, I, just, I just hope that I can be that for someone else. You know, that I can give back just that little bit. And so for me to say no, I just can't do it. You know, I just can't say no. I, I, I was taught don't say no. If they ask you to do something, you do it. And sometimes I'm tired, and sometimes I don't feel like it. <laughs> you know, I don't at times. And, I, and I'll say I don't feel like it. And I'll tell you one of those times was um, when my, uh, when Christmas, 
my son had been in trouble, and he's, you know, one of us, you know, a little alcoholic, and he was in a world of trouble, and we were at the, he was mandated to treatment by his probation officer, and we were at the, at the hospital, he was answering this question, and questionnaire, and you know how long those questionnaires are, with each page, he was getting more furious, rage-filled, and I thought he was going to bought me one I really did I was at I was fearful of him and we were sitting in the counselor's office he says why don't you you know just take a break the counselor said so I did I went in the bathroom and I was crying I was so upset and I'm praying God please help me please help me you know please help me and in walks this woman and she's crying and I thought oh shit you know (laughs) I was like I'm asking you for help and you send me in a crying woman (laughs) you know what is this (laughs) Well, of course, her son was in there. He had stolen all the Christmas. This was the day after Christmas. He had stolen all the Christmas presents, sold them for drugs. So he sends me somebody who's in worse shape than I am, right? So what do I do? I tell her about Al-Anon because I had known about Al-Anon by this time, and, and I tell her about AA. And, you know, this light went out in her eyes, and she had that hope that I had. And you know what? I changed. He did answer my prayer, you know, and it's by getting out of myself that my prayers are answered. That's how it works. You know, you look at that. I love that picture. Even though I can't see it now, I notice it up there, the man on the bed. And uh, that's all. It's that simple, you know. And there is somewhere in the literature, Bill says, can it be that simple? Yes, it is that simple. You just help extend your hand to another person, and then your problems. You know, it's all about perspective. I didn't know how to do that. It was feel sorry for myself forever, resent you forever, (laughs) you know, hate you forever. Everything was forever. And I didn't know about living a day at a time. I didn't know about um, reaching out to others, helping others. It was always, what can I get out of it? Or let me get out of it before you do it to me, you know? It's just I didn't, I had no sense of what a relationship was about. You know, I I didn't know how to be a friend or be a daughter. And I got to be all those things. Because um, you, you showed me how to do it. When <clears throat> I was early on in A, my father did a disease, a, a return, and he died in my first year in the program. And uh, he was in Texas, and there was a, a, a how you know, an A room where they had 24 uh, hour open for A's and I went there and uh, it was four blocks within my walking distance from my parents house and I stayed there and those people said if you need a place to stay if you can't handle the drinking you can stay with us my mom just looked at me like what they said what you know but that's how AA is that's how the people in the program are they will be there for you at least the ones I know are and, and I hopefully that I can be there for other people too um, while I was down there, actually, I was, uh, t- was it Don, your friend Don that spoke at the last one? I think that's his name. <coughs> I heard a man speak, and I remember he was really old, and he got up and spoke, and um, he was one of the first hundred n- members, and his name was Fred Morsh. I didn't know that much about AA at the time, and he got up and he spoke, and he, um, he just, he commanded this. You know, it's just his presence. He commanded this attention. And uh, I just knew that this was a man of God. You know, they talk about, 
being a man of God, and this was a true man of God. He was, he was just so filled with his peace and love and serenity, and I thought, this is what I want. And if he did this, and it works all this time for him, it certainly can work for me. Um, I've had the opportunity to um, meet a lot of people, <laughs> thousands, I would say, go to meetings all over. A is everywhere. I was talking to uh, Amelia before the meeting. It's, it's all over the world. It's all over the world. You can go anywhere in the world, and the hand of AA will be there. I remember my, t my husband and I were traveling to Mexico. In, in Mexico, we were driving. And we were looking for a meeting, and uh, it was a Sunday, and we're driving around lost, of course, because he didn't ask for directions. That's a whole other story. But <laughs> um, all of a sudden, we drive by this storefront, and what do we see? This little blue light with the circle and triangle. You know, we're, we're, we're in, um, I don't know, it was on the coast, though, on the Gulf Coast. And so we went in there, got greeted by these people, and that's just the way it is. It just, it's been that way all through my sobriety. I will talk a little bit about that marriage because it was brief, brief, long enough, but brief enough. Um, my ex-husband was, um, well, let me put it this way. <laughs> he liked to say that he turned his will and his life over to the care of John Wayne as he understood him. So <laughs> it gives you an idea of what kind of a macho guy he was. And I was this independent, like I said, woman. And I was used to doing things by myself, and, and that's still a problem that I have. But um, we were like, you know, oil and, and fire, you know. It was just like... You know, just <laughs> it was a very tumultuous relationship. But anyway, I was going to make it work, right? And um, I went to this conference uh, here. ECC used to have, the Fireside Group used to have a conference every year. And this uh, brother uh, got up there and spoke, and he said, um, thank you. He said, um, we alcoholics are addicted to excitement. What's he talking about? And he sa if he said it once, he said it a hundred times. We alcoholics are addicted to excitement. And finally, the light went off in my head. I'm addicted to this chaotic, even though it's miserable, it is exciting, you know. And I thought, there's something wrong with me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it only took me, you know, like 10, 12 years to figure it out. But, you know, so, yeah, I'm always learning. You know, and, and what I found was, I don't know very much. You know, I really don't. It, you know, in, the in the book it says, we realize we've only scratched the surface. And I know that. It was, that was a humbling experience. I got through that um, with the help of AA. We were talking about moves the other day, you know. How, us alcoholics move more than anybody I know. Don't we just, like, we're always moving, right? Middle of the night moves, you know. It's like... <laughs> But, you know, when you go to move, you can call another air, and they will be there, right? All my moves in sobriety have been by Alcoholics Anonymous members. They just, they are right there. And even at work, they tell me, you move so many people. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, that's what we do. You know, we help each other out. Um, <laughs> this daughter of mine that I was telling you about, um, that walked around with her head down. Um, graduated from college and she went on to get her accelerated master's program at UB in social work. 
she had her um <clears throat> we had a, a nice party for her at my place and uh, it was a very proud moment in my life um I was so grateful to AA for showing us a way to live. When I was newly sober, I remember we were going going to go to the movies. We we lived on hot dogs and macaroni and cheese for months. We were broke, but we were happy. We were going to a movie, and I got a twelve step call on the phone, and I didn't know what to do. What do I do? Do I take the call? I'm going. I mean, my daughter, you know, hadn't been done anything with them, and she said, "You know what, Mom? That's more important." She was nine years old, I think, eight or nine years old. She said, "That is more important. You take care of that lady," and that's the type of example that my children grew up with. So when she she graduated, my son came. He was still drinking at the time. And um, <clears throat> he called me a few days later. He said, Mom, you know what? He said, our family has peace, don't they? And I said, yeah. He says, I want that. And I said, you can have it. You can have it. Uh, shortly thereafter, <clears throat> I was dragging my feet going to go to a meeting. You know how it is. You hang around, you hang around, and you think you want to go somewhere, but you don't. And the phone rang. It was my son. And he said, Mom, I need help. And I just, for the first time in my life, I talked to my son as one alcoholic talking to another. Um, he was not my son. He was an alcoholic. And I, told, and I shared with him my story. And he said, you know, all those people that you got sober with, are they still in AA? I said, you damn right they are. And what a comfort to be able to tell them that. That he could call, he says, do you think I could call them? I said, yes, you can. And I gave them their numbers, you know, and he called them. And you know what? I literally put him in God's hands. He's, he, and he's still there. I have not taken him. You know, I've just not taken him. And um, after a while, he was going to meetings. And, um, well, that night, I, he said, um, I said, Jason, do you know what today is? And he said, no. So what is it? And I said, it's my 17th AA anniversary he said oh my god mom you're kidding and he says how does that happen I said god that's how that happened I've been praying for this day for years and you know patience was never one of my virtues it was not but you know what you taught me that if I came around and I prayed that God would do for me what I could not do for myself and that he would take care of everything and he has um so he's still sober today He'll be celebrating on my AA birthday. He'll have, what, eight years? And, uh, and I am so grateful for that. The other part of that story is that uh, he said, Mom, hey, I got this sponsor, and he knows you. And I said, who is it? And he said, his name is Dean. And I said, oh, my God. Dean was maybe sober about um, three, four, five years more than I was. And I can remember listening to him speak, and I loved his story. And I thought, if I was a man, I would ask Dean for my sponsor. Now, can you believe that? My son asked him for a sponsor. I just, I, you know, and how, can you ha how can you not have faith when things like that happen, you know? And Dean used to talk, ha talk to this, tell the story about the steps. And I, this was always stayed with me because it, I'm a kind of a visual person. I like visual examples. Sometimes, you know, reading stuff doesn't sink in here. But he said the steps to him were like a bicycle, like a 
shiny brand new bicycle you know they look great the bicycle looked great and you could admire it from afar you could see other people riding their bicycles and they looked really happy and free you know and and they'd be riding on this bicycle and and gee god i wish i could ride that bicycle but he didn't know how to ride the bicycle so he could read the manual and ride you know read about the bicycle he could read the manual how to fix the bicycle but he didn't know how to get on the bicycle until he got on the bicycle. <laughs> he couldn't ride the bicycle until he got on the bicycle. And that, to me, is the best example I've heard about the steps. And that's the only way to do it is to get on it and ride it. Just do it. Even if you don't have to do it perfect. Just do it. You know, when I, when I did the fourth step, I thought, look at myself. Are you joking? You know, it's everybody's fault. You know, but that's not what the book says. <laughs> you know, it says perhaps they wronged you, but... You know, pray for them because they may be sick. And I thought, pray for them. I never, I, what a concept, you know. It's like, why would I pray for it? But I did it. You know, an example of that was my brother. I hated my brother. He called children's services on me. You know, how dare he, you know. And yet when I got married, I asked my brother to walk me down the aisle. And you know what? My brother's still drinking. He's 62 years old, I think. But he's coming to celebrate my 25th anniversary next month. He told my daughter he's going to stay a week because it's a special occasion. He respects me today. You know why? Because I respect me. And I don't treat him like a leper. <laughs> you know, I love him because he's me. You know, I used to, you know that look that people give you when you're drinking and they just like... What's wrong with you? You know, they want to strangle you, you know. It's that look. And that's the look that I used to get and I used to give to people. Like, what's wrong with you? It's no longer what's wrong with you, but just what's wrong. What's wrong? Talk to me about it, you know. Let's, let's discuss it. And, you know, to become a responsible member of the community um, is just... It's like an adult, you know, it's like, well, no, these, this is what adults do, finally, you know, I finally grew up in AA, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a life that's beyond my wildest dreams, as, as they say, I, I really believe that, um, I'll share this, this one story, and then I'll close, um, I'm very close to my mother, and uh, she got sick suddenly a couple years, almost two years ago, and um, was gone in a week. But we all made it down to see her just in time. And uh, I got to spend a couple hours with my mother just by myself. And it, it was just precious. I just can't tell you uh, what how meaningful that was to me, that I was able to be there for her. You know, we sang to her. We stroked her we prayed over her every anything she wanted we did for her my mother was literally a saint and uh she just she knew she was like she had al on before there was al on you know what i mean she just knew she loved people she was a uh, just a prime example of what god can do really she was a god-fearing woman and um when she passed there was a, a butterfly that came around the the funeral home and on the way to the cemetery, a procession of butterflies went all the way down to the cemetery. And in the cemetery, there was a nice cool breeze, and it was hot. It was hotter than 
it's hotter than it is today. You know, it was like 108 in Texas. But it was a cool breeze coming through. And it was just such a peaceful way to let go and just know that she's with God, you know. And that really she's not gone. She's like in here, you know. So is my father. And I know that they're proud of me today. And I hope that I can be that, you know, for my children. I have uh, four beautiful grandsons. And uh, they're just the joy of my life. You know, they're a lot of fun. And... Um, it's it's a miracle really that I can, they have never seen their grandma drink. I was telling Darcy they were talking about tattoos <laughs> and we were joking. I'm not gonna say what you said, but but he said I said, Well what do you think, Darcy? Should I get a tattoo? He says, Well he says, I don't think my grandma has one, you know, I'm still in denial about being a grandmother. But um I guess we could have fun today. You know, we went to Toronto the other day, James and Peter and, and uh, Melinda and I, and we had the best time, you know, to be able to, I have, I'm free, you know, and I've gotten everything and more than what I asked for. The biggest thing that I always prayed over and over is like, I just want peace. I want peace of mind. And I have that today. Thanks to God and to AA and to all of you. Thank you. Help me think. I'm going to pass the basket in accordance with seven tradition. All the baskets being passed, are there any AA announcements? There's cake after this meeting. And there will be a 10 o'clock meeting later on. I've asked Monk H to do the marbles. Mike, alcoholic. Hi, Mike. 
here at the Buffalo Group. We have the uh, Marble Tradition, originated in Ozona, Florida, passed to the Syracuse Group, and was passed over here to the Buffalo Group. The, tradi the tradition starts with the white marble. Anyone new or coming back to AA who would like to make a commitment to a new way of life, not drinking and drugging one day at a time. Is anybody willing to make that commitment tonight? Next we have the blue marble, which stands for keeping that commitment for three months. Is anybody celebrating three months of sobriety tonight? Is anyone else celebrating three months? Next we have the green marble, which stands for keeping that commitment for six months. Is anybody celebrating six months of consecutive sobriety? Next we have the red marble, which stands for keeping that commitment for one year or multiples thereof. Is anyone celebrating an AA birthday? Last, we have the black marble. It does not stand for time, it stands for resentment. If you have resentment, you should have a sponsor. Take this black marble along with your resentment to your sponsor. Find out what you can do to be relieved of that resentment. Is anyone taking a black marble tonight? Is anyone returning one? That ends the marble tradition. Want to meet at the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> <clears throat> I know it is. <laughs> My ass is all wet. It's good start to Our Father. Our Father. this day our daily bread forgive us our trespasses and as we forgive those who trespass against us lead us not to temptation deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever amen